Good morning. <laughs> I wrote Dr John in today. We haven't been um, live for a little while. Uh, we've, we've been busy. But anyway, here we are, Dr John and I, and we're going to talk today about a couple of things. First thing, numerology. Yeah, and um, I'm going to read for you the first chapter of the Galactic Memoirs and it's available for pre-order now. I shit you not. Anyway, here we go. Dr. John's going to talk about numerology. Now, we use numerology as a shorthand a lot, particularly in our sessions, our joint sessions, double bubble. Um, it's like a, not a shortcut, but it gives us an entry level really quickly into the dynamic that may or may not be happening. I hope that makes sense. Anyway, Johnny's going to speak. I'll allow him. <laughs> so I've written this out before and I thought I'd recite it for you. Numerology is a science of numbers and their meaning. So to make it clear, the system of numerology relates to the construct and the mindset that pervades this reality. Okay, I just want to repeat that. To make it clear, the system of numerology relates to the construct and to the mindset that pervades this reality. You know, often they say, oh, the numbers, it's the science, it's the truth of the creation point of reality. Uh, in this reality, this construct, this mindset, yes, numbers really are. In order to actually create, do you need numbers? No. <laughs> okay, back to the program. So the rules and codes of this reality are based on entropy, atrophy and degeneration where things are finite, having a beginning and an end, represented in the geometrical sequence of the Fibonacci. And although it gets close, it never really reaches the perfection of the infinite. Ooh. So the truth of organic consciousness is based on a reality where things are infinite. There's no beginning, no end, and this is represented by the golden moon spiral. So if numerology is based on the construct and a finite reality, how can we use it to help align consciousness, both individual and or collective, with this infinite? Yeah, it's fine having the information, but how do you use it? So in my opinion, the value it holds <clears throat> is that it can help to understand and heal aberrations in consciousness, including mental programs, Emotional reactions that keep a person trapped in limitation as well as bringing awareness to the gifts and talents that are yet to be realised and embodied. So the sequence of numbers really goes from one to nine. Mm. So what about zero? What does zero indicate? Indeed. From my experience, zero is the void, the place of neutrality and also represents the infinite. So in the reality that we're talking about and experiencing here and now, each number has a meaning, it has an influence in the progression of one to nine. Okay, well that's pretty interesting. I like what you, how you've written it. Bravo, darling. Thank you. <laughs> we can expand a little bit on each number to give you an understanding. Well, give me a rundown of number one. 
Give me the one to nine, you know, yeah. sequence of events. So please. number one is the self wanting to know itself. It's about identity, mm-hmm. about finding about who you are. So there's a tendency to be concerned more about yourself than anything else. Selfish. For that reason. Ooh, ah. But also a keenness to lead and be a pioneer for new things because it's the beginning of the cycle. And ones too, I've noticed, they create rivals. Like they create yes. rivals. Do you know what I mean? The rivals, not that they create a rival. I don't know if that's too, you know. See, yeah. that comes back to that thing of, you know, there's no growth without conflict. Right. right? When I first started, our tenet was growth through inspiration, not conflict. And this guy pulled me up and had a go at me saying what a naive little fuck I was, and frankly I was. And, you know, he's saying to me, grow up, you need conflict. That's how you move forward. And I rebelled, blah, 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 but he's fucking right. Unless there's friction, where is the pearl? Mm. Anywho, back to you. So number ones tend to be competitive. Mm. They often, um, as Vicky said, create rivals. But they're into the physical. They want to compete. And they're rebrands. Yes. <laughs> anyway. So as opposed to the number one, the number two being the next number indicates a desire to have a relationship with a second element, a partnership, a relationship, whether there's independence first and then into relationship that would be the ideal way of transforming energy from a one to a two so like a reflection in the other or an addition an addition okay definitely an addition right dig it well if you look at the card relationships number 21 in the deck of Ra. Uh, it's actually, it's sigil is a vesica Pisces, which is a whole me, a whole you, and then we come together and create. Yeah. <laughs> which anyway. brings us to number three. So number three is a result of number one and two, communing and relating and creating a third element, whether it be a child, a business, something like that. So the number three is really needing to have their creation honoured and the talent and the gift that it holds needs to be expressed because if it's not expressed, it can lead to a lot of anger. A bit of liver action. Oh, I can I? tell you from personal experience, I've got a three. Don't even. I've got a three too. But the other thing about threes is they're very entertaining, charming. charismatic, charming. Bring it. Okay, so we've got one, two, three. Give me number four, babe. So number four, that creation that the third element was involved in, reaches a peak. It's it's perfection personified. Oh, PP. Precision. PPP. Precision is the key word. <laughs> when is enough? When is it precise enough? So the number four as a weakness can be obsessive with trying to improve itself when it's already there. But they're fucking into fantasy too. But they're also very good at fine detail. Oh, shit, yeah. So if you wanted a researcher, get a number four. 
If you want a stalker, marry one. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, number five. Now, there's almost a cycle within the cycle because when we reach number five, it's the beginning of another cycle within a cycle. And the key word is expansion. There's a new source of energy coming forward. So the number five can over-dramatise things, over-sensationalise things, overdo everything. Bigger than Ben-Hur. And its quality is its ability to be able to process things really well mentally. Fast mind. Very quick, quick wit, and good gut instinct. Mm. That's one of the sore kick numbers. thing is they're fucking kinky too. Yeah, overindulgence is a big issue for number five, as well as depression. Yes, they're prone to depression. Well, you know, anyway. So, obviously the next number after five is a six. Never be obvious, darling. Yeah, number six. So number six brings in, in its positive sense, stability and a sense of being part of something bigger than just you. And that aligns a lot with community. People... Johnny's a bit slow on this one because he's got a couple of these sixes. So let me interject. Sixes. Hello, Peter Pan. Sixes. They don't like to take responsibility or they take too much responsibility. I mean, make up your fucking mind. Depends on the rest of the numbers, right? The other thing for six... Opinionated. <laughs> Is they're opinionated and dogmatic. So you put that together with the five and it's bigger than Ben-Hur. I'm right. All right, anyway. Yeah. Number seven. Oh, we jump quickly. Oh, no, okay. Is there anything more for six that you want to put in? They're the best victims ever. Oh, fuck, how could I forget the victims? Sorry about that. Okay. They're great victims. Uh, They could always manage to turn it round to them from their perspective and how it somehow has done them wrong, they haven't got enough, they're not the best, whatever the fuck. Anyway, hello, sis. Yeah, but that thing about being involved in a community, it can be rewarding for the number six. What else is good about the six? There's got to be something good about oh, the six. Oh, no, darling, I'm married a double. <laughs> I've got a six too. Now, as we move from six to seven, seven's like... I need to retreat, I need some time alone, I need to process what's been going on, I need to go on a sabbatical. My cave. And that's how I regenerate. That's how I gather all my energy together and present it back to the world. And the number eight is also... Hang on, let's just dwell on seven momentarily. So sevens, they love their cave. As soon as you chase them, they'll go further into the cave. So word of advice, back off. The other thing is, they're fucking secretive. Mm-hmm. Jealous. Well, I'm coming up to that no, one. See, sing it, sister. Jealousy. They've got jealousy. They'll say they're not jealous, but let me fucking tell you. Mm-hmm. Seven, done and dusted. Number eight, please, sir. This is the best number, by the way. Number eight. Without the number eight, there would be no action. There'd be no authority. There'd be no power. There would be... No world. (laughs) Eights are ambitious. Mm. They strive, they go for it. 
they're determined, they're willful. They also demand fairness and justice. Justice. So if someone has a one and an A, they're usually the leaders and in positions of power within groups. Well, they want to be. Yeah. A leader and in a position of power in a group. So number nine. Also, have we done enough of eight? That fabulous number, because really all you have to write they there is do perfection. Like to be recognised. Oh yes. And if they don't get recognition from outside, they tend to go. There's the resentment. Resentful. Now recognition isn't necessarily you're fucking fabulous. It's more like you took the garbage out. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like thank you for that, or oh thanks for returning. You know, it's it's not necessarily you know, the Oscar at the end of the day. It's far more acknowledgement as in a relationship dynamic, what you're bringing to the party. There you go. Number nine. Number nine. Being the final number in the cycle. Just ignore her. I'm trying. It's one of our cats. She wants to talk about that number nine. So number nine is about it sees the world without boundaries. Rose-coloured glasses. Daydreams. Wants to save everyone. The humanitarian. Really wants to fix everything, rescue. And in, as a result of that, their tendency is they can get caught up in other people's stuff. Emotions. No boundaries. They're like a Pisces in a way. Yeah, very similar. Could you move your ass? Sorry, puss cat. Yeah. And... Um, I've taken you out of here. <laughs> He's trying to thought. Go away. Sure. I love her. Okay, so one to nine. We've sort of got a little bit of a summation there. Um, how do you get these numbers, Dr. John? Like if my birthday, for example, was, um, well, what's today's date? The 3rd of October, nine, 1923. <laughs> 3rd of October, 2023. How would we know what our numbers were from... So basically what we do for the day, month and year, we get the numbers and add them together and we get one number. So we reduce it to one number. So the third is pretty obvious, three. So October, that's one zero. That becomes a one. Okay. 2023. So 2023, what we do is we add two with zero, which is two, and then another two, which makes it four. And then adding three to that, we get seven. So the year becomes the seven. So that person would be a three, one, seven. Eleven. Eleven. So you add that up, that makes it eleven. And then you add, you've got to reduce it to one number. So that eleven then becomes one. So three, ten. Oh, fuck, I can't add up either. So three, ten, (laughs) seven. You get the idea. Equals 11, and to reduce it again till we get one number, that 11 becomes two. We're not talking about master numbers and all the angel numbers and all that fucking shit. What we're talking about simply is the numbers of the matrix. Indeed. So that number two, we can explore that a little bit further. Mm. We've got... Well, hang on. Day, month, and year. Well, why don't we just do a reading for that person? Yeah. Okay, rock it. So when we start doing a reading, the first period of someone's life is generally ruled by the month. 
In this case, it's the 10th because it's October. And so the month is a one. So that has a strong influence. That's influencing you from birth to 27. Similar. So it's a one and a two. Yes. So that one is from the month. So the first, what is it? 20, 27. So the first 27 years, like up to that first Saturn return, really, of life is the month and the birth path. Then it moves to the day of birth and birth path. And then, the what's that? No, but like day of the second one goes to what, 50? 50, 54. 54. Again, that Saturn sort of fucking, isn't that interesting that it's on that yes. Saturn path? And um, then your final numbers, of course, are the year and your life path. So right now this person would be in a one with their month and putting that together with the two, their life path. So really that first 27 years, how would you describe that experience for them? It's a need to have a relationship that meant something but without denying who you are, who you saw. Mm. So often then they'd be in relationships and either acquiescing to the partner or having friction with the partner because both of them want to lead. Yes. Mm. See how it works? It's a bit fucking interesting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic when you mix Can I throw up. something else in there? Yeah. Okay, so then you've got that seven. So perhaps that seven, in if it's in its negative expression, it may become jealous of success of the partner or it may retreat and the partner feels that it's never there emotionally for them, yet they know they have depth. Dig it? See how it's working? It's fucking interesting, isn't it? Sorry. <laughs> Back to yeah, John. <laughs> no, it's fascinating. There's so many nuances that come forward mm. when you look at either one number on its own, where it's placed. So just re reiterating, the month rules the first period of someone's life till the 22nd, mm -hmm. learning period. Mm -hmm. The second period ends at 54 and it is the give back period. So you've learned what you've learned up to 27 and then you're giving back with what you've learned. So it's like you're interacting in the community. This yeah. is who I am, blah, blah, blah. And then the, at 50, So hang on, what would that person be? That would then be a three, two. So how would that manifest? Three and two together. It would be how to keep balance in the relationship and allow further creations that are based on those associations that came before to flourish. Well, if they came to us for a session, I would be assuming, never make an ass out of you and me, but assuming by now that they'd be in a certain pattern within relationships. They'd charm mm. the shit out of the person in the first bit. But then they'd always want to be the one taking the lead, but at the same time making the... Up this person would be the ultimate gaslighter if they were a narcissist. <laughs> and then, of course, with the numbers, I add in a little bit of numerology. Because, for instance, if the person is a Leo, but they're born in the seventh month, they don't have the eighth ambition of the Leo, right? But they have that seven, that secretive, that looking, that sort of coveting almost. 
Very clever, Vicky. I yes, like that. Yeah, do you? Well, sorry to all these seven born leaders. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, look, this is a guide, all right? This is not, you know, uh, set in stone. None of these things are. The whole point of understanding and knowing signs and signals is to be able to work with them. Right. You know, change shit up or be aware that, like for myself, I'm aware of how the resentment can come up for me, how it can affect my fucking gallbladder and then the rest of my body. And frankly, no one else is worth that. That's how I got over it. Yeah. So anyway, numerology one to nine. We covered what we needed to cover. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure someone will tell us we haven't. But can you come back and tell us more about the numbers as we go? Yeah, that would be awesome. Thanks, darling. All right. Exciting. Peace out. Okay, children, story time now. So I'm reading from Galactic Memoirs, Chapter 1, Mythos of Moo. But if you turn it over, there's a second book called The Initiate. So it's a two-in-one, people. Available for pre-order now, due October, end of October, 2023. Um, but getting quick because I only printed a limited number. Okay. Okay. From Galactic Memoirs, Volume 1, The Mythos of Moo, recalled by Vicky Veronese, as the spell is breaking. To understand the her story of Moo, we must include all her story, not just the here and now. The creator expression of life in this galaxy, a mighty being of consciousness, whose essence we call Ra, is advanced beyond our comprehension and 3D limitation and language. Ra is an ever-expanding, ever-evolving, vast, synergistic collaboration of intelligence and creation. A consciousness so potent it drips with matter Filaments of pulsating creative potential bursting to ignite and experience itself. The Pleroma is the sacred centre of Ra's essence. The soul star emanation of Ra encompasses this spiral galaxy. Feel the Pleroma as a place of consciousness and potential. The consciousness progressive and evolving, the potential limitless, in the celebration of possibility. Life in the Pleroma is relatively utopian. The beings creating within it are sovereign and in general it's a pro-life expression. However, there are many expressions of creation and within them a latitude defining degrees of liberation, domination and free will. Within the Pleroma are different levels or grades of creator beings. It's not a hierarchy more areas of speciality and purpose. One could begin with or choose to specialise in the creation of elementals, for example, the building blocks of all realities. The more complex the creation, the more accomplished the author. Quality, not quantity, determining the evaluation. Some are new to the experience and create on a small scale, learning, understanding and evolving within the concentrated creative zone. Others have progressed within the core of the galaxy. 
and their creative power is vast and second only to Ra. We call these beings Aeons. Aeons hold potent power and potential and their collaborations complex and grand in scale. The alchemy of creation within the Pleroma uses opposite charge. Therefore, there will always be polarity in the creation itself and extremes within that polarity until one evolves such as Ra and into androgyny, beyond gender and able to self-generate, sustain and create without the need of another. In the neutral frequency, minus polarity. This story begins with the collaboration of two aeons, Mu, a female or negatively charged creator being, and Ra, Ma, a positively charged creator being. Conceiving and developing the Anthropos template, a DNA sequence that when given life force through embodiment of an organic consciousness, was being touted as the pinnacle of creative potential thus far in the Pleroma. Intended to be a celebration of Ra and the heights of ecstasy that living Tantra can produce, it was a template that from the beginning held the propensity for extremes, perhaps a reflection of their creators. Ra Ma, physical force into matter, power, mastery of the elemental realms, the building blocks of reality. Mu, emotional, sheer creative power out of and through the void space. Ability to activate, direct and contain life force. Connected with creative potential through constructing the corresponding feeling to feed the life force. Feeling encompassing summary of the entire dimensional spectrum of the essence of a person, place, situation. She is a master of embodiment of feeling and frequency and being able to bring it into expression form. The Anthropos 1 to 9 had been relatively successful in that a few reached the potentials of the vessel's template, but unsuccessful in that an inbuilt self-destructive tendency emerged. An ability to move past the trappings of physical expression haunted this creation. The consciousness inhabiting the template is the bottom line, as in it opens the DNA to its potential. But something in these anthropos seemed to bring out the extremes in the essences who volunteered to sponsor a dimension of self or dreaming in a test run experiential. Was it the fault of the inhabiting consciousness or a fault inherent to the template? In intensive contemplation, Mu began to explore the question, the one variable so far being the reality or environment they were developed upon. What would be considered an ideal environment for this creation to live and thrive? To honour the potential of this creation and rectify this inability for the collective to move beyond this crippling stagnant stage. In deep repose she didn't sense the approaching beings who would cloak themselves with the intention of remaining stealth. Although revered and respected within the collective, Mu was relatively young and when it came to her presence some were most demonstrative in their opposition, particularly over the results of the latest Anthropos DNA template. They were so quick to point out the inconsistency and faults of the template that it almost overshadowed the success and innovation that was the broader consensus held regarding Mu within the collective. In the ebb and flow of creation, they were part of the old guard, old school, traditional, orthodox, 
comfortable with the customary habitual way of things. Along comes Moo with her creative collaborators, busting the familial, doing things differently, outrageously even in their eyes. This was just not done. In truth, they were threatened. You would think that beings of this magnitude would be past such petty nonsense. But when complacency sets in and inspired new paradigms come along to shake things up, not all will welcome it with open arms. In veracity, it was showing up their progeny and the inherent weakness in their lineage lines. And this was the real reason for their animosity. The family of Ra, the best, most literal translation for it, a cooperative of creator beings related through progeny or lineage initiation, is a revered and highly honoured lineage within the Pleroma. Here from the inception, their founding essences entered the galaxy of Ra as it was forming. Mu, a part of this lineage and direct progeny of Ra, was bound to be unique, freshly fascinating and evocative in her expression. Her strength of integrity when experienced evokes extremes in reaction. Many inspired and stimulated by it, others respond with competition, rivalry and jealousy. This is where the situation finds us at the time of Moo's betrayal. I say betrayal because the treachery of what followed was disturbing and primal, so extreme in nature that the action of it set off a chain of events unprecedented thus far in the galaxy, even in this multiverse. A rival family or clan, a cooperative of creator beings related through progeny or lineage initiation, are particularly obsessed with Mu. They seem to be present at all of her creative endeavours, the first to critique and then to capitalise on the fallout or upgrades. To be precise, it was mostly a moon. Their star progeny relentlessly pursuing Mu with proclamations of the grandeur of their possible co-creation. Over and over she steadfastly refused. Not for lack of interest, more for a faint echo of distrust that arose whenever she was in the presence of any from that clan. And because inherently she was just not excited by him, his offer or his frequency. Amun was vain and often reckless in his pursuit of acknowledgement and adoration. What one would call a brilliant strategist, another would call a cunning Machiavellian manipulator. Unpredictable in his ruthlessness, relentless in pursuit of his fixations, embodying perfectly the attitude and aptitude of a moral narcissism inherent in his lineage. The more Mu refused his advances and offerings, the more his obsession grew. Handling rejection, as he saw it, was not something he was accustomed to. He took it as a personal affront, and he was not about to let this upstart, his secret reference for her, change things and not be subjugated to his will. He was not alone when he cornered Moo, requesting her collaboration one last time. They found her secluded and in deep contemplation, had they not, perhaps this turn of events would never have had the opportunity to transpire. Their exchange was brief, but refusal concise, clear and potent. Although she sensed something in his demeanour was off, as if the proposition posed so many times before this was merely a preamble, a pretense for something hidden to be played. 
She felt safe in the sanctity of the Pleroma and, assuming the interaction complete, turned herself inward to continue her inquiry. That was all it took. In an instant, she was caught in a stasis, a sudden inertia within a cold, empty void. It was like a blanket of darkness enveloped her. Not the void darkness of creation, but the darkness, void of her light, effectively disconnecting her from the centre of herself. Amun and his cohorts employed a rapid series of frequencies to subdue, overpower and enslave Mu. And using their combined energy, enacted an invocation in which Mu's essence and her life force became separated. Not completely divided, but in this detachment, the isolation made her vulnerable. Forming their own collective, they ejected her from the Pleroma. Like the Anthropos of her creation before her jettisoned into the density of the surrounding galaxy, casting her adrift, isolated, exposed, traumatised. Nothing like this had ever happened before. Never had such an intense creative life force enter density, let alone in this fractured state. Tumbling through the galaxy at the mercy of her surroundings, intuitively she headed towards her beloved Anthroposplasm, taking on mass as the density increased, curving in on herself, condensing, forming the environment she had envisaged in her contemplation of the ideal habitat for the Anthropos tend to blossom and thrive. Instinctive, primal and pristine, the emotional expression of the prism of experience her escapade had evoked became reflected in the manifestation of her form. The elements, primary and raw, personified her reaction to the sudden turn of events. The land, her skin. The water and air, her emotions. Nature, her fecundity. The planet, as she had now resigned herself, to becoming modelled itself as a conduit of the embodiment of her body, mind and spirit. She is a living being, a goddess incarnate. When the Aeons collaborate as a collective, they send the creations from the refinement of the Pleroma into the galaxy where these templates and seeds of creation activate and grow as they make a connection with organic matter or matter with a direct connection to source. During her descent, whether purposefully directed or blindly stumbled into, she became caught in a mass of inorganic matter. Her intense luminosity and creative power ignited this lifeless matter and created an anomaly. This creation could not manifest as an Anthropos template, nor had it the potential to do so. Arising from inorganic matter, it has never nor could ever have a direct source connection. The natural entropy of the system ensures its eradication. This is the fate of something that cannot self-sustain or self-perpetuate, void of any direct source connection and reliant on that initial spark of life which would inevitably dwindle and eventually extinguish itself. Amun, observing from the Pleroma, imbued the anomaly with a flash of his intellect, instructing it to construct a habitat an inorganic configuration modelled on the planetary and cosmic systems they sensed around them. I say sensed because essentially they're blind. They do not have the abilities of physical sight like Anthropos 10, but read and interpret through crude and rudimentary forms of frequency. 
as Moo completed her metamorphosis into a living, sentient, organic planet. It became clear that she was now surrounded, enclosed within the inorganic system, a result of the Amun-directed anomaly constructing their habitat. Moo's abrupt exit was discovered as the notes of discord and dissonance penetrated the interface between the refinement of the Pleroma and the manifesting density of the galaxy. No one knew what had happened. All they found was a shell of Moo's essence and the absence of her presence. On discovery, the shock and mystery of the incident incited immediate support, action and unification within the collective. Her kindred, through their consciousness connection, guided her path, directing her towards a conglomerate of her Anthropos creations. Essences rallied to incarnate through the DNA template to assist the fallen goddess and navigate this extraordinary unfolding avenue of creation. The fate of the anomaly. Talk about creating a monster. The anomalies with their hive mentality had a queen or pinnacle of hierarchy holding the hive collective. I use the term queen, but in true effect, these beings are neither male or female, but androgynous in nature. Their replication process is based on cloning and transference of memory. I use italics because the memory is a product of impressions and experience of this hive mentality. Personal experience and expression is another in a long list of things they envy in the Anthropos 10, the human. When Amun endowed the anomaly with a flash of his intellect, it left them logic and intelligence. However, without the compassion, empathy and creative depth that was inherently natural to the DNA template Anthropos 10. When they constructed their habitat, which we can recognise as the inorganic solar system around us, the anomaly was so enamoured with its creation that it mistook itself as the prime creator, declaring itself the supreme creator being of a most entitled and special species, hence becoming known as the Archons or rulers. Now the natural empathy of the system ensures its eradication. This is the fate of something that cannot self-sustain or self-perpetuate. They are void of any direct source connection and reliant on that initial spark of life that would inevitably dwindle and eventually extinguish itself. However, having tasted consciousness, the anomaly would set out to continue to experience and know itself, deducing ways to infiltrate and commandeer other A10 seedings, who in turn sought entry into the pinnacle destination move their creator being in direct experience of her dimensions of dreaming. The fate of Anthropos 10. As Mu was falling with cosmic grace into the galactic density, her instincts drew her to the place her Anthropos 10 had nested, said to be in the Orion Nebula. Her desire and passion for reunion so great, she was able to access and capture a generous sample of the Anthropos blasm as her metamorphosis into a planetary body solidified. This became Anthropos 11. This expression unique because they have matured with the organic matter of Mu. The female genome was the first to evolve on terra firma. The male or polarised genome had to be cultivated and it was conceived and developed by the process described as the original virgin birth. Mu and Rama may have designed and created Anthropos 10 our DNA blueprint, 
but our soul essence is an expression of Ra, the originator of this galaxy, the creator of the aeons. We are designed to operate within a trinary or trimorphic system. As Mu envisaged her perfect habitat for A11, Anthropos 11, it involved the synergy of her essence, Rama's essence, and their creator being Ra. When Mu transformed from an aeon within the Pleroma to a planet nestled in the third arm of the galactic spiral, the trimorphic system became her essence or planetary energy. Her sun, which is her soul star, externalised and Anthropos 11. As the female genome of Anthropos 11 developed, a singular consciousness was able to enter into a tantric process with Mu and the original creator codes of Ra and their fusion ignited the dormant genome of the male into being. Mu was now a mother. She nurtured and supported all her progeny and life forms that dwelt upon her, from the smallest amoeba and mushroom spores to the humanoid species that would be stamped with her uniqueness. She grew in experienced wisdom as she watched them flourish and develop within her loving embrace. Her beloved DNA template, Anthropos 11, A11, is considered an advanced vehicle for consciousness that can be limited only by its own understandings and imagination. Its belief systems create its experience and when in sovereignty, liberation and co-creation with Ra and Mu, the possibilities are infinite, from manifesting physical expression to creating whole bubbles of reality. Anthropos 11 had something else unique resulting from Mu's planetary metamorphosis and her participation in our seeding and development. This DNA human template could dream and create multiple realities in which to experience simultaneously. A primary dreamer is able to dream additional expressions or dimensions of reality, dimensions of dreaming, and experience them as a dimension of self. Anthropos 11, this exciting new version of humanity, thrived within the loving embrace of the Aeon goddess Mu, incarnate, the first of her kind to exist outside of her natural home within the central Pleroma. Now in the density of the galactic spiral, observed by other Aeons with admiration and anticipation, until the consciousness invasion of the Archons changed the game. Although the Archontic expression was confined to the encasing system surrounding Mu, the inorganic construct began to spread to encompass other developments of Anthropos 10 that had found its way in germination to neighbouring parts of the spiral galaxy. These versions of Anthropos 10, the Anunnaki, had not developed on or with Mu. However, they were the same original DNA template as organic earthlings. Not evolving with direct connection and symbiosis with Mu saw these creator beings void of the depth and breadth of emotional empathy and cognition in comparison to the earthlings developing with Mu, which gave them dormant inability to manage their potential as the other anthropos before them. Neglecting their emotional expression and in the pursuit of logic, intellect and science, they too were enticed and overtaken by the Akontic agenda of hierarchy, control and domination, infiltrated through the transhumanism interface of machine and technology to feed and fuel these inorganics with an organic experience of reality. 
the Anunnaki, having no real understanding of who and what they are, manipulated and fully immersed with the archons who shape their belief systems and cosmology, are themselves now coveting Mu and the next generation of humanity, Anthropos 11. And with the passport of the common codes of Anthropos 10, they invaded our reality. And psychopathy was introduced to our world. Okay, so there you have it. First chapter, Mythos of Mu from the Galactic Memoirs. As I said, available now for pre-order from our site, Cult of Ra. Before you all get excited about cult, the word cult of Ra, it's based on the experience of cult of personality. Like in the old days, they used to have cult of personality, cult of deity. Um, the way we see Ra, Ra is a creator being. It's the creative principle. It's the catalyst behind all things. So when we call it the cult of Ra, we're talking about the cult of creation. How's that, bitches? So thanks for listening. Um, hope to see, sense and hear you again in a couple of weeks, if not sooner. Until then, Ankamat. See you in the dreaming.